Chapter 30 of Mabel Ross, The Sewing Girl. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 30 Aristocracy. At an early hour of the next morning, Mabel, as she had proposed, carried her own and her sister's work to their several employers. The result was as Hilda had predicted. The employers declined paying anything whatever on the unfinished takes. From the second of these places, Mabel proceeded to the Clark Street pawnbrokers. Hilda was right again. The man refused to give another shilling on the watch. The place to which Mabel next directed her steps was a large white marble residence on Wabash Avenue. The door was opened to her by a servant, who announced that Mrs. Barrett had not yet taken breakfast. Upon the applicant saying, however, that she had called on business and could not well come again, the woman concluded to let her wait at the door until she carried this message to her mistress. Presently she returned, saying that Mabel might come into the library until Mrs. Barrett was ready to see her. The door of a near room was opened by the woman and Mabel walked in. It was a handsomely furnished apartment, with showy oaken bookcases on one side and a large grate burning on the other. Before the grate sat, or rather lounged, in a comfortable armchair, a young man of about twenty-two or twenty-three years of age, a tasseled cap on his head and a meerschaum in his hand. He was engaged in reading the morning papers, several of which lay about him on the floor in careless confusion. The sound of the door opening and closing caused him to look up, and Mabel recognized the features of young Ralph Barrett. However unwelcome the recognition may have been to her, young Ralph himself appeared well pleased at the meeting, and notwithstanding Mabel's reserve and constraint of manner, he made efforts at conversation until his mother appeared at the door when he immediately retired. Mrs. Barrett was a person of particularly unprepossessing manner. There was a cold, suspicious look in her eye and an ungraciousness in her deportment, particularly when brought in contact with those she considered her inferiors, by which she meant persons without pretensions to such means as were enjoyed by herself. Mabel had not seen her since some time before the death of her mother, and with all the brave heart she had brought with her, she felt a cold sickness come over her upon finding herself in her presence. Perhaps Mrs. Barrett's eye was more than unusually suspicious as it fell upon her. Mabel had risen to meet her, and as Mrs. Barrett did not take a seat herself, she remained standing. No hand was offered her, no smile vouchsafed her. Simply a good morning and a fixing of the cold eye in a questioning way upon her. Mabel, briefly as possible, stated the purpose of her visit. Oh, you have called for work, said Mrs. Barrett, letting her eye fall on Mabel's face to the shabby dress she wore. I thought maybe it was to ask assistance. The last words were added after a moment's hesitation. She could not, dared not, soulless as she was, say, to beg. I simply want to work, repeated Mabel, never dropping her eyes, though a faint flush tingled in her cheeks, and a tide of thought rushed over her mind regarding the time when the husband of the lady was clerk in her father's store, and the lady herself, then unmarried, a seamstress in her mother's family. I am obliged to seek custom work, she added, as the extremely nervous condition of my little sister does not permit me to use the sewing machine. I heard about the child, 
rejoined Mrs. Barrett coldly. Why can't your other sister see to her and let you be free to work out? Everybody knows sewing girls do a good business, and if they keep steady to the employment given to them by the stores, have no need to run round to people's houses hunting up help. No one can properly attend to my little sister but myself, Mrs. Barrett. Of course not, as long as you indulge her. But you want work, you say, and I really have none to give you. I have a sewing girl in the house, and I find that cheaper than putting my work out. But Mabel must have work. She thought of the ruin staring them in the face, and would not be discouraged by the present rebuff. Could not you recommend me to some of your friends, Mrs. Barrett? she asked. I am a neat worker. Well, perhaps I might. At least I could send you to someone who would employ you if you suited them. I never recommend anyone that I don't know something about. Mabel knew that these words referred to her capacity as a workwoman only, yet the words fell on her harshly and crushingly. Mrs. Hagues is a very worthy lady, remarked Mrs. Barrett, as she gave a card with directions to Mabel. In fact, her husband has recently become rich, and as she's not at all proud, not having been long in the aristocracy, I don't think I could do better than send you to her. You may, in fact, use my name in asking to see her, and as she knows my position in society, it will be everything to you. Mrs. Barrett was, no doubt, pleased to get off with serving the reduced daughter of her own and husband's old employer at so cheap a rate. It was a sort of second-hand service which put her to little trouble. Mrs. Hagues lived but a few squares from Mrs. Barrett, and a minute or two found Mabel at the door. Almost at the moment she rang the bell, the door was opened by a young lady, of whose age Mabel could not even form a guess. Judging from her face and height, she would have taken her for twelve or so. But her dress, she was in full promenade costume, four, five, or six years older. She stared in a childlike way at Mabel, who, taken by surprise by the showy little figure, did not immediately speak. I don't know if Ma's in, she replied, when Mabel at length stated her errand. I was sleeping out with a friend and have only just got home. What do you want with Ma? I wish to see her on business. I was sent by Mrs. Barrett, three squares below, who said I might use her name. Oh, my, you were sent by Mrs. Barrett? And at the talismatic name, little Miss Haig's eyes fairly danced with pleasure. Oh, I know Ma'll see you if she's home. Please step into the... A pause and a glance at Mabel's shabby dress. Into the hall, and I'll send the girl to see. Mabel did as she was directed, and the little doll danced off into one of the near rooms, and presently Mabel heard the sound of the bell. A tidily dressed young woman replied to the summons, and stated to the young lady that Mrs. Higgs was at home. Then go directly to Ma's room, rejoined her little mistress, and tell her a... Another glance at Mabel's face to her overworn dress. A young woman wants to see her on business, and was sent by Mrs. Barrett. 
The woman paused to take a survey of Mabel, beginning at her face, ascending to her plain hat, then gradually descending to the faded hem of her old dress and her rubbed shoes, after which, with the faintest suspicion of a smile, she departed on her errand. Meanwhile, from her position in the hall, Mabel saw the pretty doll walk up to a large mirror, lay aside her jockey hat with its plume and bugled veil, and begin, with much apparent satisfaction, to smooth and arrange her curls and the ribbons confining them. What a pretty little creature, thought Mabel. I wonder if she's a child or a young woman. The servant reappeared, saying that Mrs. Hagues was at home and would presently be down, and that she desired the young woman to be shown into the study. The little girl had now come out of the room, and while the servant spoke, both she and the latter took a deliberate survey of the visitor, making, as it would seem, a mental inventory of her outward appearings. This satisfactorily concluded, the woman opened the door of the room opposite that from which her young mistress had come, and Mabel gladly availed herself of the invitation to enter. The door was closed on her, and not opened again until Mrs. Hagues herself appeared. Mrs. Hagues was in all respects a very different woman from Mrs. Barrett. Her face expressed good feeling and good humor in every feature, and her manner a warmth and kindliness altogether in keeping with it. This was the natural woman, but a curious uncertainty of speech and deportment, not calculated to impress others favorably, and, as could well be seen, particularly distressing to the lady herself, had characterized Mrs. Hague's since the period of her own and family's exultation. She looked warm and flushed just now, and received Mabel with an ill-assured air, as though uncertain whether to act naturally or assume that appearance and tone of consequence which accorded best with her ideas of an aristocratic lady. It may, to her credit, be stated that through the interview which followed, the unpretending, whole-souled woman continually cropped out, despite the efforts of the lady to keep it down, and also that it impressed Mabel to the full amount of its worth, notwithstanding the mountains of absurdity which at times covered it up. They say you were sent by Mrs. Barrett, were her first words, delivered in the uncertain manner referred to. Then, after an honest, confiding look into the young face, with its eyes half running with tears, she put forth her hand and shook Mabel's warmly. Sit down, sit down, she said. You look weakish and tired and oughtn't to be standing. Mabel thanked her and willingly took the proffered seat. Then followed an explanation from Mabel concerning the purpose of her visit, and a good deal of talk upon the part of Mrs. Hagues, both relevant and irrelevant to the occasion. She particularly questioned Mabel regarding little Lily, in whose unhappy condition she expressed much interest, and a case similar to whose had been, she said, in the family of her own brother-in-law's half-sister. Then she proceeded to inform her visitor that the young lady she had seen was her only child, christened Jane Eliza, and formerly called Jane Lies, though now altogether Lizzie, the Jane being dropped as too common. Lizzie was just turned of sixteen, and had recently come home graduated from a New York boarding school. Mrs. Hagues said the sending of her daughter away to school was opposed to her own wishes entirely, but that Mr. Hagues had insisted on the measure, and she had then washed her hands of it and felt no responsibility of her daughter since. 
that they took the responsibility of girls professionally, her husband said, at such places, and as they were all the time bringing up girls and graduating them, why they had their hands in and knew what they were about. For herself, since her husband had become rich, she was well pleased she had let him have his way about Lizzie, for though she would have made her a good enough girl at home, there were other things very important to her now, which she was sure she would have made blunder upon blunder about. But then there's the sewing, abruptly added Mrs. Higgs. It's that you want to be seeing about, and I mustn't take up your time with other things. Now, the truth is, I haven't a rag to be made up, such a getting of new things as there's been since Mr. Higgs' luck in the oil. But then it makes no difference if I get more, she continued, reading the disappointment expressed on her visitor's countenance. It'll do no harm to have plenty, over and above, to lay by. So I'll get in some stuffs and have you call again to get the work. At that moment, the door abruptly opened, and Miss Lizzie Hayes entered, sweeping after her two feet of rich silk train. She gave a brief and not overpleased look at Mabel, notwithstanding she had come from Mrs. Barrett, then, deliberately turning her back on her, took a step toward Mrs. Hayes, who, as Mabel perceived, looked considerably embarrassed. Ma, she said, you're forgetting the carriage is ordered for twelve, and you have your toilet to make. We have shopping to do, and numbers of visits to return, and after that to dress again for dinner, for Pa told me that he invited several gentlemen to dine with him today. Mrs. Haig made some incoherent acknowledgment of these several forgotten duties, then hurriedly rising, said to Mabel, You can call again next Tuesday, young woman. Not Tuesday, Ma, interrupted Miss Lizzie, for it's the day of our ball. The young woman mustn't come on Tuesday. Oh, well, Wednesday'll do as well, said poor, flustered Mrs. Higgs. I'm sure she can come Wednesday. Wednesday, Ma, what can you be thinking of? You'll not be up before twelve on Wednesday, and after that you can't attend to business. I will call at ten on Thursday morning, ma'am, said Mabel, who had stood waiting to depart. This time Mrs. Higgs looked at her daughter for answer, and the latter, without so much as a glance at Mabel, sulkily replied, Yes, she can come on Thursday. Mabel bid goodbye to Mrs. Higgs and left the room. As she went to the front door, she saw mother and daughter passing the hall to the stairs, the latter sweeping along at a swift pace, the former following more leisurely. Just as Mrs. Higgs had her hand on the balusters, she looked round and perceived that Mabel was making fruitless attempts to master the intricacies of the door latch. In an instant, the good woman was hurrying, with a speed no one would have thought possible from her proportions, to the dining room near at hand. Here she disappeared for a moment, then again came forth and sped across the hall, not forgetting to give a hurried glance up the stairway to make sure the doll was not observing her. Here, dearie, she whispered, just as Mabel had succeeded in opening the door. Take this to the little sick child. And she thrust under the young girl's cloak a jar of preserved peaches, just brought for the dining room. Then, while Mabel was in the act of thanking her, she put her out of the door and shut the ladder too, saying hurriedly, Don't you be frightened out of coming Thursday, mind! End 
of Chapter 30.